Well, hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam again. It's been about a month. I, Candace and I went to uh, do ministry in, in Hawaii, three different islands in Hawaii, and we were gone for three weeks in September and got back the first part of October. And so I'm, I wanted to get back at this, and I have a message today. And uh, I'm excited to share this message. So let's go to the Lord uh, before we, we start this. So, Father, I thank you for this day. and We thank you that we are here today. We have breath in our lungs, and we are grateful. Uh, even though many times we may not show it, Father, we ask for your forgiveness, and we are grateful for you and what you've done for us, this plan you had set up all those years to have a way in for each of us to have a relationship with you. And as we talk about this today, Father God, I pray that your love, your grace, your mercy will be enlightened in a lot of us that may not have a full understanding of what this is about. And today we'll have a greater understanding than we did before we heard this. So we thank you, Father, in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today I, I titled this Abba, Father. And, you know, whether we realize it or not, our eternal quest, the, the, you know, the high watermark of our existence is to spend time with the Father. And, and people, you know, this just overshadows all other things. It, it doesn't, we don't manifest that way. We don't look at things that way. But all things become pale in comparison to spending time with the Father. All other things we do actually become distasteful in the light of the glory of the Father's majesty. And, and we need to grasp that that is what is stirring inside of us. So today I want to share some scriptures that, that elaborate on this, that, that support this, that's right there in scriptures. And I, and I believe that this will shed some light on what we can't figure out that is stirring inside of us. Now, some of these scriptures I'm going to talk about today are contained in the book of Romans, which was written by the Apostle Paul. And throughout the book of Romans, there's this underlying uh, underlining of Paul's intellect and his perception of the law and his, you know, pharisaical knowledge uh, of the law that he gained by being a student of the of his teacher, his instructor, the great Gamaliel. And see, folks, if we can understand what's going on here in the book of Romans, I contend we are well on our way to conquering our flesh and our soul. And if that's the case, then we can conquer a lot of things that are around us. Now, I'm going to read a verse that many of us have read countless times before, no doubt. And then we're going to talk about this phrase, Abba, Father. And I want to share some context about the meaning of adoption and about the Father uh, and about us being sons of God. And throughout this message, and it should be all times when you're talking about the Word of God, when we use the phrase sons of God, that's gender neutral. So that's term son means male and female. So you daughters out there that this, this, don't think we're disregarding you. Don't think the scriptures are. It's gender neutral. It means daughters as well as sons. And also we're going to be looking at how scripture shows us different levels of development as these 
sons of God, as these children of God. All right, so Paul was a, was a Roman citizen and he understood the Roman culture. So Paul will be using that understanding, this adoption, the adoption and slavery concepts of that Roman culture in, this, in his writings all throughout the New Testament, but especially in the book of Romans. So let's begin right here in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, and then we're going to break it down some. And I'm reading this version I'm reading today is from uh, the Amplified Version, Romans 8, 15. Here's what scripture says. For the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship in the bless of which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, did you catch Did you catch that? There is a spirit apparently of bondage, a spirit of slavery. Now, the word bondage is translated slavery many times. And Paul says, we have not received this again to fear. Now, fear in the Greek is the word phobos, phobos, right? It's where we get the word phobia, which has to do with a phobic anxiety or horror. So Paul is, whoever reads this, he's telling anyone who reads this that when you receive Jesus, you have been released from the spirit or the breath of slavery. You've not been called again into bondage, right? Into slavery or into a phobia of the old man or a phobia of the evil one but rather you have now received the spirit of adoption and now your spirit that was dead, your spirit is reborn. It's crying out, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. This, like, you know, I know we may not really grasp that, but there's so much just in that. That's, that's phenomenal. And I, I, I need now, I have to explain some things about Roman culture so that, so that will help us get a better understanding about this book of Romans and in this particular scripture. When you do research, when you dig into the history of the Roman culture, there's, you'll find out multiple things, but there, there are two things I believe that stand out, stand out particular to Roman culture. The Roman culture was driven, right? The culture was, was driven by slavery and adoption. It, it, this, the Roman culture was steeped in slavery and also there was this whole phenomenon of adoption of sons that was part of their, their actual constitution. It's, it's like in their DNA and makeup of their society and culture. So, you know, as we look at this, these are not just words when Paul is saying this here in eight, Romans 8.15, but rather... Paul is speaking right to them in respect to their culture so they can get a comparison of the kingdom of God with respect to their culture. But Paul was well aware, he, he very well understood their laws in the Roman culture that related to slavery and laws that related to adoption. So at this time, when Paul is writing the book of Romans, you know, it's probably around the fifth or the sixth decade in the new century, in the new millennia, there were literally hundreds of thousands of slaves living in, the, in Rome and in the entire Roman empire. 
This, this is a culture, this Roman culture, where people would sell their children into save slavery to receive income. Like, okay, and guess what? That same nonsense, that same sickness is going on today. It's just called human trafficking. Slavery was such a part of the Roman culture that when Paul was asked, was, was talking about it, remember? He said, not receiving the spirit of bondage again into fear and slavery. They, these people would understand him because, frankly, folks, they were living it day and night. So Paul is using the context of their culture to, to bring his point across and so for, for us today, for, for us, the readers, to gain an accurate contextual understanding, we must grasp that point. Otherwise, it will not have the full impact that it should. That's, again, very important that whenever you're looking at the Word of God, you understand the cultural context of the time of the writing, be it in the Old Testament or the New Testament, to get a, to get a fullness to understand it. You can't just look at it through the lens of our 21st century world. Uh-uh. It's not going to, it's going to dilute it. You got to look at it from that point of view back then. So in summary, Paul is saying in this letter to the Romans that just as you have been slaves under the Roman law and have lived in fear of dreadful circumstances, we too have been slaves of the fallen human nature ever since the Garden of Eden. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, King James Version says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were by nature the children of wrath. So Paul is explaining this to them, and then Paul says, But now you've been identified with Jesus. You're... You, when you identify with Jesus, when you've, when you've submitted to Jesus, when you've asked to, you know, you admit you're a sinner, you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you confess that, you've got to understand your debt has been paid. You no longer should be clinging to slave life. Rather, you now are to stand fast into liberty, right? Into freedom where God has set you free and no longer should you be entangled with the yoke of bondage. And that was not only for those people in the Roman culture, but it also applies to everybody since. It, it applies to you and I right here, right now, today. We, we were once lost and slaves to sin and walking in no man's land, if you will, without hope and foolish right? And even as we didn't love Father God, God loved us. And even though we didn't know God, God knew us. Romans eight twenty nine. right? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So Jesus, right, breaks the bondage of slavery and all of the old has passed away and we are new and adopted into the family of God. All things are new now. In other words, we are not only flesh and bones, but we are children of the Most High God with a rejuvenated spirit. And we refuse to go back to the phobia of anxiety and the old man and all that has to do with the bondage and the destruction that we lived under prior. Because now we're living under a new constitution and we are free and those whom the Lord has said free are free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So... If, if, that, 
impacted you. Just think about how that would have impacted those living at that very time in Roman culture. And don't forget, remember, the reason Paul is giving them this talk is to tell them about Abba Father. And it's done in this way because you can't come into the family of God and receive the fatherhood, the adoption of God, until you have cut the umbilical cord to your past. Are you hearing that? I I hope you're getting that. You can't continue to to live in the past or dance with the past or have one foot in the past and and dancing on that fence. Are you smelling that? Are you smelling what, what God's cooking here? I think this is brilliant in the book of Romans because Paul has something very important to say about Abba Father, but before he tells us about it, he has something equally important about leaving that slavery stuff and that bondage stuff and that, that, that mindset at the door. Paul is saying that you are now going where no man has gone before, kind of. That's the kind of thinking. I mean, hallelujah. I mean, that makes me think of something from like 55 years ago when that show Star Trek came out in the late 1960s. Maybe you've never seen it. Maybe you've seen reruns. But, but do you remember how it began? This is how that show began. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise to boldly go where no man has gone before. Well, that's just like us. That's like a Christian, right? right? Being born again. In other words, we must let go of our old ways now that we receive the adoption of sonship and go into places you've never gone before. Boldly go into places you've never gone before. Now this word adoption is a rite of passage of placing a son in Roman culture and it usually happened between the ages of 14 to 18, like the teenage years. And this word in the Greek is weos. It means kinship as in a mature son. Now, I find this very interesting when, you know, after all the studies and I continue to study the word of God, but there are different words used throughout the New Testament in in Greek uh, to describe the age of of a child, uh, of of a person. For instance, the word, Paul could have used the word napios. Now that word in Greek means an infant, a which would, you know, that's just a simple-minded, small person, an immature Christian, a babe in Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he uses this word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, when he's talking, here's what it says in the Amplified Version. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 says, However, brethren, Paul is talking here to the Corinthian church. He says, However, brethren, I could not talk to you as to spiritual men, but as to non-spiritual men of the flesh in whom the carnal nature predominates as to mere infants in the new life in Christ, unable to talk it. That word, we use infants, that's, that's napias. The word for son or infant is used here for a non-speaking infant, one who still poops in a diaper, sucks on the bottle. It's all about me, right? That's what the babies are. They're narcissistic and they cry all the time as the means to get attention, right? To communicate, that's what happens. That's the natural, that's what we expect of. And Paul is telling the Corinthian adults, these are people in this new church, when there is envy and strife all among you, you guys are napios Christians. You're baby Christians at best. You're baby poopers. Now, that's okay. That's a stage. We all have to start somewhere. So we all start as napios Christians. But Paul is trying to, he's like a real loving dad. He's pointing out, you're, you're still there. Like you need to develop beyond that. You're growing up, right? Aren't you going to grow up and move beyond that napia stage of whining all the time about everything because it didn't go your way? 
Okay, well, Paul didn't, so he didn't use that word. He didn't use padion. Padion is used quite often throughout the New Testament. It, that means the elementary age boy or girl, older than an infant, but younger than the teenage years. It's the equivalent, if we look at it, of children's church or the elementary school age type of kid, you know, kindergarten on up before they get to teenage years. That's like a lot of kids. This is when our inward commitment is not stronger than our outward habits and character. Kids, right? Kids want the action. They want the fireworks. But often God's simple instructions are seen as dull and boring and unexciting. You got to keep telling them over and over and reminding them over and over of the basic things. They can't skip the basic things, right? Is that ringing bells for anybody? If you got children, you know that. Well, that's the same in our Christian journey, okay? But Paul didn't use that word. So he's not used padion, which is elementary, or napios, which is infants. Finally, Paul could have used the word technon. It's another word used throughout the New Testament. And many theologians say this implies the teenager type age. So not sure if you've been around many teenagers, but for my observation in the church, is full of the teenager technon in the Greek, for that matter, as well as napios and podions. What I mean is, for a technon age, just like a teenager, you better ask them what they know, because as teenagers, we are well aware that they know it all. And they'll let you know that they know it all. You don't know anything as a parent. They know it all. I know some of you are giggling right now. Maybe you even can remember when you were a teenager and did that very thing. See, but Paul didn't use the word technon there either. He didn't use padion or napios. Why? Because those aged people do not inherit the kingdom of God in the sense of coming into the rite of passage as the adoption of sons to take over the father's business because you would need to be mature enough to take over the father's business. Is that making sense? To take over for the father, you must be of the weas age, which is the adult mature age. Notice, notice the contrast here from the book of Galatians, for instance, in Galatians 4, verses 1 and 2. And I read from the Aramaic version of the Bible. Again, this is Paul who wrote Galatians. He says, now this I say, that the heir, as long as he is young, cannot be distinguished from the servants, though he is the Lord of them all but he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by his father. So here, Paul says the heir that he uses, when he says the heir here is a napios age child. Okay, so what is this? What is, what is, what can we infer? Like, in other words, he's saying, although you are saved, although you're going to heaven, although you have an anointing, although you're the father's son, right? You're the father's son. There is a time and place in your life when you will receive the rite of passage, when you will receive the adoption of sonship and will proclaim, just like Jesus did, that I am now going to be about doing my father's business. Oh boy, I hope this is making sense and you're still with me here. This, this, if we relate this back to the beginning passage that we started with today in Romans 8.15, let me, let me put it together as this. Here's the lesson, right? You have not received the spirit of fear, but have received the spirit of adoption or the receivership 
of we us mature sons. And because you are our mature son, you cry out, Abba, Father. I hope this is making sense. And before we can dig into this about, about Abba Father, we need to get a little more explanation of what is going on here so we grasp the proper totality of understanding. I think we need a little more background from the Roman Constitution and law of that day, which, once you do some study, was also referred to as the 12 tablets. Specifically, within that is a subheading called Under Slavery. That this was part of the rules of being in the Roman society. It was called adoption proper. This is in their constitution. Listen, listen to this. This is from the Roman constitution back these two millennia ago. A father could disinherit his natural son in, in this culture, in Roman culture, and inflict any kind of punishment upon his son, even death. He could sell his real son into slavery, which gave them the, him the right then to adopt a new son. <laughs> I mean, for instance, if a man had a slave that was good in business, that had the aptitude, but his son didn't, or another man's, a different son than his own was very good in business, the father could disinherit his own son, sell him, uh, even kill him, and then go through the adoption process and adopt a new son. This was normal family life in the Roman culture of that day. Folks, this was such a common practice that many of the Caesars, the emperors, were not passed on by biological fatherhood. The current emperor was always looking for a better built model to succeed him, a hybrid, if you will, to follow after him. Augustus was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Tiberius was the son of Augustus' wife by Claudius Nero. This was a common practice within the culture and especially within their Senate and leadership. I mean, the movie Gladiator depicts this, right? It's accurate. When Marcus Aurelius, who is played by the actor Richard Harris at the beginning of the movie, right? He's emperor, he's Caesar. And his natural son is Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix. So you remember the scene where Marcus Aurelius, again, Richard Harris, is talking with Maximus, who is the general, played by Russell Crowe, right? And uh, Marcus Aurelius tells him that he is asking Maximus to follow him, he's going to appoint him as being his successor as emperor of Rome because his natural son, Commodus, is not, Commodus is not a moral man. Right? Remember that? How about in the movie Ben-Hur, right? With Charlton Heston. He gets adopted by the Roman admiral Quintus Arius, played by Jack Hawkins. That same theme. That's, those are just, in the movies, they're accurate. That's, that's accurately depicting Roman culture at the time. These guys' natural sons lost everything and the adopted sons received all their inheritance. Just giving us examples. This was the culture that Paul is writing this. So, okay, so there's only three times in the Bible, in the New Testament, where we read the phrase, Abba, Father, which is, you know, this is written in Greek. It's once by Jesus, recorded in Mark 14, verse 36, and twice by the Apostle Paul. 
once in Romans 8.15, which we read today earlier, and Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Now, when Jesus is recorded in this, this is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36 from the Amplified Bible, here's what it says. And Jesus was saying, Abba, which means Father, everything is possible for you. Take away this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, I, you know, many of us will f- simply focus about Jesus fulfilling you know, his assignment here, fulfilling the Hebrew covenant, which is that God needed a sacrifice from sin. And because the Hebrews were taught about the, the, you know, God's calendar, which would be the seven feasts of the Lord, and God would send his son on these feasts. And right, he said for him, is, did they do this yearly atonement of the sheep on the feast of Passover? Right in the spring, feast of Passover. The autumn feast would be, end with the day of you know the uh, day it would have the uh, uh, feast of trumpets, day of atonement, and the feast of tabernacles. And so you know there's all this understanding in the Old Testament that there had to be a sacrifice for sin, and that was done through God's one and only Son, the special Son Jesus, who bore our sins and transgressions, and now lives as the High Priest in heaven, and lives there to make intercession for you and I in the house of God. So, you know, that's, that's our basic understanding, right? Hallelujah, Jesus ful- fulfilled the, the prophecies that God made about these feasts, right? But, and the, the Hebraic law. But Jesus also, what I'm trying to get across today, in addition, he also fulfilled, which is blown, mind-blowing me, the Roman law. Let me explain on this. There is no other place we have in Scripture where Jesus uses the name Abba Father. Now, Abba is, is Aramaic. And it means my one and only dearest. Father is the Greek word pater, patier, which means papa or daddy. It's where we get in the Latin the word padre and then the English word father. Now, remember what we mentioned earlier that many of the people in Roman culture were not the son of their natural by birth fathers. So just like many people back then in Roman culture, many people today struggle with feeling disinherited while they go through life finding out their purpose and destiny, finding out what their assignment is. Well, God had a plan to cure this confusion from the beginning, right? Jesus knew this as the good son because he was with the father and watched the father and does what the father showed him he had to do for his assignment, which was to fulfill that assignment here on earth. God revealed to the son that he would adopt all the lost sons and daughters throughout time through the, through the obedient son that had to die for all of mankind. For Jesus is the firstborn son who led many sons to glory. So, you know, to me, I hope to you too, this is like fascinating that this also correlated to the pagan culture of that time to receive salvation. For all to receive salvation. Now, don't get confused what I'm saying here because this act Jesus did was absolutely about fulfilling the Hebrew Lamb of God and that in and of itself, it's so incredibly and difficult to comprehend from now until eternity what he did for us. But what I wanted to bring forth today, and I hope you're getting this understanding, is that Jesus' act also revealed in that pagan culture of Rome the same thing. And I hope we can see that. Just just think what was going on with, with Yeshua, with Jesus, right? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat 
we are told, is coming out of his temples and he's saying, he's on his knees and he's going, my dearest daddy, please let this cup fast from me if you can, but I understand what you are doing because you look at things from an eternal perspective, so not my will, but your will be done. I know I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of how I'm, I'm doing it. That helped me. I hope it helps you, right? Because he's saying, dad, father, you look at things from an eternal perspective, so not my will, but your will be done. So look at this scripture in the book of Romans 8.29. We, we, we mentioned this earlier, right? For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So because, you know, once we submit and admit we need to surrender to Jesus, once we're born again, we now have Jesus's profile, likeness. We are, we are it would be as if we're grafted into the DNA of heaven. And as Jesus is, so are we now right here in this realm, here. Even though we're not in the heaven realm yet, we're, we have all what's needed here because we're born again. We are, we are the Father's sons and daughters. I mean, that's, that, that, folks, that is why we should be approaching each and every moment of every single stinking trial and tribulation and test and opportunity because of the finished work of Jesus, attacking it by faith and not fear. Fear puts us into that old man, that old mankind, that old shell, that old stinking thinking. It's of the demonic. It's of the Satan. Faith of what Jesus has done is the language of God and how we are to approach things. Because Jesus was willing to fulfill his assignment of giving up his biological father connection for that moment in time. And the outcome of that whole event is like God tricked the Satan because the connection came back from the dead and the father and the son are seated next to each other right now. And can you see that out of that divine exchange on Calvary, God looks on us today, just right now, and we must realize that each and every one of us were a dream in God's heart at that time. Scripture says God foreknew every individual. God was thinking about you when he had this plan to send his son so he could adopt you into the family through what his son would fulfill. And when you were born, it was not an accident, but it was a manifestation of a dream in God's heart. You are, you are so precious beyond human comprehension and comparison, and you are the father's son and daughter, which, you know, don't forget, ladies, that includes you. I mean, the, you know, and the, here's how I say, the, the daughter of a lion is still a lion. So ladies, this is referring to you as a son. And guys, you know, here's the deal. Don't get too haughty because you got to understand this, guys. Guess what? We're going to be the bride of Christ. <laughs> So let me just, you know, stay humble, guys. Now, there's a final thing to discuss about this topic today, and that is this transforming from where we are currently to sonship. And in scriptures, there is a time Paul shares with us about his desire to be with the Father and leave here. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Okay, it's like Paul is saying, I want to get a jump start on the next part of eternity and spend it with you, God. But then an epiphany from the Father that tells Paul, 
Paul, it's more needful that you stay here for a while longer. It's like Paul is saying what Jesus was saying to the father in the garden of Gethsemane, I believe. He's, he's like, I think Jesus was kind of saying, hey, can I come up and see you now, Dad? But not my will, but yours be done. And I think each of us, every day, we got to make this personal. If we're here, you're listening right now and you're hearing me, then that means you're here. Then there is a reason for that. There is some assignment God has for you today. In other words, God's will is that he has invested all this time in shaping us, preparing us for the next act of the play in our lives. It makes me think about the father-mother-child relationship. So in this relationship, if I say the father is God and the mother is the church and the child is the church congregant, is the assembly, then we need to realize that we can't continue to have a womb-only focus. As we develop into these mature Christians called weas, fully developed sons and daughters, then we are to act like we are ready to inherit the father's business. We need to develop a throne focus instead of staying in the mother's womb focus. God says in the last days, he's going to catch we us, sons and daughters, to a throne perspective. What I'm getting at is too many of us children, right, siblings, are just hanging out in the womb and oh, how we love our mother, the church. We want to be an encouragement to our mother, the church, and we want to serve our mother, the church, and sacrifice for our mother, the church, right, because we all love our mothers, God is saying to us that we have, a, we have well, well known our mother and we have lived with a womb focus because we've lived with our mother, but now is the adoption of sons and we will be seized to the throne room and have a throne perspective and we need to be adults when this manifests. We can't continue to act like infants or children or teenagers. And since your mother has a need of your assist, her, a sister with love and care for her from the throne perspective, right? As sons ready to take over the father's business. <laughs> you, in other words, you are to honor your mother and every time the door is open of the church, you want to go to her, but understand you should be entering from a throne perspective and not just from a mother's nurturing, but you have a father's hand in your life that's mature. God said this about Jesus when he was baptized. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The word used there for son is weos. That's mature. When Jesus was questioned by his mother, why did you not join us when we left? Remember this, when Jesus was 12 years old, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. The last scripture in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, chapter four, verse six says this, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children and the heart of the children to their fathers. In, in other words, God is always turning his heart to his we sons and his sons are turning their hearts to him, to the, the adult, the mature. So, you know, for all of us with those feelings of emptiness, discontentment, that hunger that you just can't quench, that feeling that's not quite right, that need that you can't explain or that thing in your heart you can't figure out is because God has sent forth his spirit into our heart, crying out to our dearest Abba Father, come to me, mature, grow up. I hope this inspired you. I hope you have an incredible encounter with the Father today. God bless you all. Bye.